Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, good morning everybody. Whether you are here in person or watching online, I'm excited about today as we continue our journey through the New Testament Gospel of John. Today's going to be important. Today actually has the potential to change the way that you live your life. So without wasting too much more time, I want to jump right in. And what I ask is that you would lean forward with a sense of faith and lock in with a sense of focus. As we jump into John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. This pool is called Bethesda. In Hebrew, it means house of mercy. It's not a house of mercy. It's a house of horrors. Imagine the scene for a second. Hundreds of people lying there in the hot Middle Eastern heat. Now, we don't know whether it was an old wives' tale or whether an angel actually came and stirred this water up from time to time, but the point is these hundreds of blind and crippled and sick people really believed that when the water was stirred up, if they could be the first one in, they would be healed. It was a place of despair. It was a house of horrors. Everybody who walked by would have looked at those hundreds of sick, crippled, and blind people and said, it's your fault. In that culture at that time, they would have assumed, hey, you're blind, it's your fault. You did something wrong. You're crippled. That's on you. Either you or your parents really messed up. I want you to imagine the scene. Hundreds of people gathered. The paralyzed people would not have been able to get up and go to the washroom. So they'd be lying there all day in their filth. We would describe that in our 2022 perspective as a dirty place, a disgusting place, a desperate place. And of all the places that Jesus could have stepped into that day, Jesus walked into quite possibly the most desperate place on the planet. And he walked up to quite possibly the most desperate person in the most desperate place on the planet. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it? See, maybe you're a church person. Maybe you're brand new. This is your first time ever being a part of a church service. But I know for all of us, there's times that we feel desperate. There's times that we feel dirty. There's times that we feel disgusting. And maybe for you, you might assume that Jesus would never want anything to do with you. This story says that's not true. Let me tell you something that is going to seem like I'm being kind of glib, but, 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 but I hope to explain it in a way that you really remember. Jesus loves you. And his love for you is not based on your credentials but on his capacity. Jesus' love for you is not based on whether or not you are innately lovable. 
Jesus' love for you is based on his capacity, and his capacity is infinite. Jesus loves you. And it's amazing when you think about this story because he walks through all the mess. He walks past all the desperation. He walks through all the dirty, all the disgusting. And I want you to know that Jesus sees you. There might be parts of your life that you're really ashamed of. But I want you to know that Jesus sees you. Beyond the desperate, beyond the disgusting, beyond the dirty, Jesus sees you and he loves you. Out of all the places that Jesus could have walked into on the planet that day, he walked into quite possibly the most desperate place. And he walked up to, quite possibly, the most desperate person in the most desperate place. And Jesus asked this guy a question that seems kind of odd at first glance. Do you want to get well? Now the question seems odd until you hear the answer, because the answer is really weird. You know what the guy doesn't say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. I've been here for 38 years, man. Yeah. Please. I really, really want to be healed. There's something off about the conversation. There's something weird about this conversation. There's something not quite right about it. And what I want to suggest to you is this, is when you see something in your life, when you see something in this world that's just a little bit off, it's just a little bit weird, that's just a little bit not right, I would suggest that you look real careful. Because when you do, you're going to find at the core of that offness, at the core of that weirdness, at the core of that, that's not quite rightness, you're going to find fear. Fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is the most repeated command in the Bible. Do not be afraid. If you include all the different versions of do not be afraid, it's found hundreds of times in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the Bible isn't talking about if a grizzly bear comes running in here, just, just go, hmm, cool. Or if Dave Poole gets mad at you, same thing, actually. But you know what I mean? You don't just kind of... No, what I want to suggest to you today is something that maybe will shock you a little bit, but it's really important to me that you understand it. Fear. The fear that the Bible is talking about when it says, do not be afraid, fear. That kind of fear is a concerted, specific, spiritual attack launched against you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. Its purpose is to destroy your dreams, destroy your destiny, and destroy your days. Fear, the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about when it says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, is a concerted, specific spiritual attack launched against you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. Its purpose is to destroy your dreams, destroy your destiny, and destroy your days. Years ago, Joe Rogan hosted this show called Fear Factor. Fear Factor. And, and the way it was, was there was a whole bunch of contestants, and they would do all these scary things. Near the end of the show, it was just came down to like eating gross stuff. That, that's what it kind of reverted to eventually. But, 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 but you do all these scary things, and eventually there'd be one person left. 
And Joe Rogan would stand beside that one person and he would hand him a check for $50,000 and he would say, it's obvious that fear is not a factor for you. And I remember every time Joe Rogan said that and handed the check over for $50,000, I thought two things. Number one, I thought this, $50,000 isn't a lot of money. Like, you know what these people had to do? They, they had to lie in a cave full of tarantulas for 17 minutes. They had to eat African cave-dwelling spiders. I was gonna show you a picture of an African cave-dwelling spider with its claws and its pincers, but I decided not to because you'd be disturbed and wouldn't be able to listen to the rest of the sermon. <laughs> they had to eat African cave-dwelling spiders. Not one, not two, not three, not four, 12. They ate 12 African cave-dwelling spiders, and he hands them a check for $50,000. And I would think to myself, I could make more than that playing Plinko on The Price is Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the second thought I had every time he said that, fear is not a factor for you. I thought to myself, oh, sure it is. I mean, you might be good at eating African cave-dwelling spiders. Respect, by the way, that's awesome. Fear is still a factor for you. The kind of fear that I'm talking about today. The kind of fear that's a factor for you. The kind of fear that's a factor for me. Fear, like a concerted, specific, spiritual attack launched against you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. Its purpose? Destroy your dreams. Destroy your destiny. Destroy your days. So Jesus walks up, says, do you want to get well? Guy doesn't say, yep. And it leads me to the first of three fears that I want to address with you today. First fear. It's a fear of letting go. It's a fear of letting go. And what it does is it destroys your dreams. How long had that guy dreamed about standing up? And yet Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he doesn't say yes. And I wonder how many of us, if we were completely honest, would say this. Man, we've become so fixated with the familiar that we're kind of scared of letting go. We're kind of scared of moving on. We're kind of scared of healing and freedom because healing and freedom might involve the unknown. Like maybe this guy had become comfortable with his condition. He's the paralyzed guy. He begs for money. He makes good money. Like the, the pool called Bethesda, House of Mercy, should have been called House of Horrors, was right on the way to the temple. And while the Jewish people would have looked at those sick and blind and crippled people and said, it's your own fault, they were required on the way to the temple. If someone asked you for money, you got to give them something. So maybe he made a good living. And suddenly in that moment, he wasn't so sure that he wanted to let go. A fear of letting go will destroy your dreams. You want to know why? Because no one I've ever met, I mean, there's always a first time, but no one I've ever met says, you know what my dream is? You know what my loftiest dream is? Just stay right here. Exactly who I am, same situation, same everything. I just want to be exactly the same. That's my wildest dream. Nobody says that. But yet, when you have a fear of letting go, you stay right here because you're so fixated on the familiar that you don't want to take a hold of healing and you don't want to take a hold of freedom because it means stepping into the unknown. Years ago, a guy named Eric Maria Remark wrote a book called All's Quiet on the Western Front. 
all's quiet on the Western Front, and, and he described life as a soldier in World War I on the Western Front. Historians will tell you that World War I was probably the most brutal war in all of human history. On the Western Front, there was two trench lines dug, opposing trench lines, that stretched from the English Channel all the way to, this, all the way to the Swiss Alps, and they didn't move. They stayed roughly in the same place for the entire war. These two opposing trench lines. And yet there was upwards at times of 100,000 soldiers killed in one single day. The area between the trench lines was called no man's land. It was called that because when the generals sent soldiers over the top of the trench, they were mowed down immediately by machine gun fire from the opposing trench. And if you stayed in the trench, many times you were killed with poison gas attacks or artillery bombardment or cholera or gangrene or trench mouth or trench foot. During World War I was the first time that people started talking about something called shell shock. Shell shock from all the our artillery bombardment. People got shell shock. Later on, we came to describe that as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which for many soldiers destroyed the rest of their lives. Later, he wrote about the day that he and the other soldiers found out the war was over and they were going home. And again, we stand still. And suddenly we know that all that yonder, that hell of terrors, that desolate corner of shell hole land has usurped our hearts. It seems almost as if it had become endeared to us, a dreadful homeland full of torment, and we simply belonged in it. We shake our heads, but whether it be the lost years that remain there or the comrades who lie there or all the misery that this earth covers, there is grief in our bones enough to make us howl aloud. And so we march out. I would ask you today, is there an area of your life where your fear of letting go is keeping you from stepping into healing and stepping into freedom. Years ago, I talked to a young couple. They've been married for about two years. Before they met each other, they were both in relationships where they were abused. We talked for a little while, and eventually I said, so what are we doing? Like, normally, people don't ask to come in and meet with me unless there's you know, something going on. I said, well, the biggest challenge in our marriage is this. There's something in each of us that longs to be back in those abusive relationships. Huh? Something in us, the terror is familiar, the adrenaline is familiar, the panic is familiar, and this kind of relationship sometimes feels sort of boring. We can become fixated on the familiar to such a degree that we hang on with everything we got. Because stepping into healing and stepping into freedom also means stepping into the unknown. I think we miss this sometimes as churches. As churches, we talk a lot about the how-to. Not understanding that the how-to means nothing if not accompanied by the one-to. You know that, right? Like I could stand up here today and I could preach a, a sermon. I could preach a whole series on forgiveness. Good thing to do, by the way. Forgiveness. 
Five steps to forgiveness, 11 steps to letting go. But what if you don't want to? What if you have a fear of letting go? Like what if somewhere along the line you've been convinced that if you forgive, that that person that hurt you, they win and you lose and you don't want to, then no amount of how-to in the world can change you if you don't want to. I could preach a whole series on generosity, seven steps to be a giant of generosity, 10 steps to stop being a tightwad. You know what I mean? I could teach you all about the how-to, but what if you don't want to? Like what if somewhere along the line, familiar for you is that we have a scarcity mentality. There's only so much to go around and if I give it away, there won't be enough for me. If you don't want to, no amount of how-to is gonna change you. Oh, you should live in a faithful, committed marriage. So I'm gonna preach a series on seven steps to have scintillating sex in your marriage. You don't want to. No amount of how-to is gonna change anything. So what do we do? That fear of letting go, that, that fixation on the familiar, what do we do? Well, I think what we gotta do is we gotta address the want to, and the want to can only change from the inside out. The want to can only be changed by Jesus. And so it's a real humble prayer. Jesus, I need you to help me want to be faithful. I need you to help me want to be forgiving. I need you to help me want to be generous. I need you to help me. I need you to help me be healed. I need you to help me want to be healed, want to be free. Here's the thing about fear. I'm not talking about running away from Dave Poole. Good idea if he's ever mad at you. What I'm talking about though is I'm talking about the kind of fear that's a concerted and specific spiritual attack launched directly at you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. It's meant to destroy your dreams, destroy your destiny, and destroy your days. So Jesus says, do you wanna get well? Guy doesn't say, yeah, he goes on and on and tells Jesus about how hard his life is. It's a terrible life. It's a terrible life. Been here for 38 years. Every time the pool gets stirred up, somebody else gets there before I get there. You know why? Because nobody comes with me to carry me to the pool. My parents didn't show up, my, my, my siblings didn't show up, my cousins didn't show up, none of my so-called friends showed up to help me. Here I am, 38 years at this house of horrors. And it's this really interesting moment because it's almost like Jesus is just looking at him until slowly he, he puts down the victim card and Jesus still is asking the question, do you want to get well? And the guy nods and we move on. The second kind of fear I want to talk about today is a fear of moving on. A fear of moving on destroys your destiny. You know what your destiny is? It's really more simple than you think. Your destiny is this, that you would be the youest you that could ever be you. That's your destiny. Like you are created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by a God who doesn't make mistakes. You are placed on this planet in this moment for a reason. God's plan for your life is that you would become everything he created you to be that I would be the me that I was created to be. But sometimes we have a fear of moving on. Like this guy here, he, 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 his identity isn't the me that I was created to be. What's his identity? He's holding up a card, what does it say? Victim. That's the identity he's gonna go with. And it's so tempting. 
Like if I called you up on stage right now and I handed a microphone to you and I said, hey, we just all want to know why you're such a jerk. You know, you want to explain it to us, you big jerk? Why, why, you know, why, why are you struggling so much? And you told us your story. I'll bet you by the end of it, we look at you and go, hey man, I get it. Sorry, you probably should be a jerk. But at the end of the day, your destiny, this is not your label. Victim, that's not your label. Your label is you. The me I was created to be. And as long as we're holding, as long as we're allowing this to define us, we can never step into the destiny God has for us. I agree you've been victimized. We all have. But the truth is, that does not suddenly define you. Those are events, they are not who you are. They're terrible. I wish they never would have happened. But there's a fear of moving on, right? Because, ooh, you're gonna put down this card, you're gonna put it down, you're gonna put it down, because now it's you and it's Jesus and you gotta step into everything you were created to be and sometimes it's easier just to abdicate. And not my fault, I've been here 38 years. No one helped me into the pool. Yeah, 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 anyways, you wanna get well? Sometimes we have another label. That label might say villain, villain. I'm a bad guy, I'm a bad girl, you know? And if we called you up here today, gave you a microphone and said, hey, can you explain all your deepest, darkest secrets to us? And in a moment of insanity, you actually did. We'd all be like, whoa, yeah, you are pretty bad, you know? I don't wanna sit by you anymore in church, I'll tell you that. But here's the thing. I, I, I think you maybe have done some villainous things in your life. I have. But at some point, they don't define you anymore. You know what I mean? And you just gotta put it down. Because your destiny is to be the youest you that you could ever be. To be the me that I was created to be. But there's some fear with that, right? Because when I put down the villain card, see, there, there's a little bit of safety behind villain because I can go, well, you know, I just don't wanna, I don't wanna mess up again. I'm just gonna set my expectations low. No, no, it's not about your expectations of you. It's about your expectations of Jesus. He can take weak things and make them strong. So we put down the card and said, Jesus, help me. Fear. Fear is a specific concerted spiritual attack launched directly and personally at you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. Purpose? To destroy your dreams, to destroy your destiny, and to destroy your days. Something fascinating about this story, you know? Jesus walks into quite possibly the most desperate place on the planet. Walks up to quite possibly the most desperate person in this most desperate place, and he heals him, okay? Awesome. But there's hundreds of other people there. There's hundreds of other crippled people. There's hundreds of other sick people. And as far as we can tell from this story, no one else is healed that day. And I started to wonder, you know, if somebody else had called out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. If somebody else would have seen what he did for this man and called out and said, could you, could you heal me also? Do you think Jesus would have healed him? Because I think he would have. But as far as we can tell in this story, no one called out. Do you want to know why no one called out? Here's what's crazy. No one called out. Because nobody saw him. Nobody saw him. 
Now think for a second. Think, think, think. Why didn't they see Jesus? What were they all looking at? No one would have seen Jesus. What were they all staring at? They're at this pool called Bethesda, called House of Mercy, but it's a house of horrors. They're all waiting for that sucker to get stirred up so they can be the first one in, thinking that they might be healed. They're looking at the pool. They're so fixated on that house of mercy, which is a house of horrors, that they don't even see Jesus. I want to talk about the third and final kind of fear. It's a fear of looking up. It's a fear of looking up. And it destroys our days. You say, well, that's not as melodramatic as destroys your dreams and your destiny, Mike. Oh, no, it's way worse. It's just another way of saying destroys your life. What is your life but day plus day plus day plus day, right? Dreams are built day by day. Destinies are shaped day by day. And I guess I would ask you today, what's your pool called Bethesda? What are you looking at? What are you fixated on? So much so that at times, you're fearful to take your eyes off it and look up and see that Jesus is right there. What's your pool called Bethesda? For some of us, it's money. Jesus talked about money a lot because he knew that for a lot of people, if there was one thing that they were gonna fixate on, one thing that they were gonna stare at, one thing that was gonna keep them from lifting their eyes up and seeing Jesus, it might be money. See, for so many people, they've been convinced to some degree that money is gonna keep them safe and and money is gonna make them happy, and of course it doesn't. And and that's a problem with it because it keeps us fixated because we we, want to feel this sense of safety and we want to be happy. And, 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 and we've, we've kind of banked on money to do that, right? So we're staring at it, and, we, and, and if you ask anybody, how much money do you need? No matter how much they have, their answer will always be the same. What will it be? Just a little bit? Just a little more. It's a moving target. Not, nothing wrong with money unless you want it to do for you what it can never do. And so you're staring, and it's this concerted attack by your spiritual enemy, the devil. Hey! Keep your eyes on that pool. You've invested years into this now. Don't stop now. One day, one day, one day it's going to make you happy. One day it's really going to keep you safe. And there's Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm here to bring you joy. I'm here to keep you safe. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you but we can't look up because we're so focused on this. This pool called Bethesda, this thing called money, and we're fixated on it. And you know what it does? It destroys our days. I hate that. Because all these people live in these lives that say, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. It's this sense of discontent. It's just so stinking heartbreaking. Because when you look back at your life, it's amazing because for me, as an oldish guy, I can look back and think, you know, the most beautiful moments of my life, the most joyful moments of my life, the most special, memorable moments of my life, many, many of them involve me having absolutely nothing, right? 
And yet when we live in this sense of perpetual, if only, if only, if only, our days are destroyed. Day by day by day by day, we live in this sense of discontent. See, Jesus has a plan for your resources. We talked about it last week. You know, that, that as his hope flows to you, it would flow through you. That's what we do with the resources that we have. The resources flow to us and then through us. But the enemy says, hey, 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 look at me. Don't look away from that pool. I can prove it to you. A couple minutes, day pool, a couple minutes ago, day pool was up here and he said, hey, we're doing this thing called All Who's Bright this Christmas. You know what, we're gonna try to make sure that every single parent, family in Chilliwack has a Christmas. That, 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 that every kid in Chilliwack gets a present. And when you heard that, there was a part of you, there was a part of you, probably a big part of you that thought, I wanna help. <laughs> I wanna help with that, right? But immediately, the enemy of your soul said, no, 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 no. Keep looking at the pool. There's three things that he might have said to you. Here's the first. You don't have enough. Yo, you don't have enough. When you get more, you'll give more. Statistically speaking, the exact opposite is true, by the way, and I think we all know it. Statistically speaking, the more you have, the less you give. Either you're generous or you're not. But the enemy wants to keep you fixated so that you don't lift your eyes to see Jesus' plan for your life. The second thing he might say to you is this. Hey, those single parents, it's their own fault. It's their own fault. Why should I help them? They made their bed, now lie in it. You know what it sounds like? It sounds a lot like those first century religious Jews walking by that pool called Bethesda, doesn't it? All those sick and crippled and blind people, it's their own fault. Here's the thing, you don't really believe that. That's not you talking. That's the enemy of your soul launching you uh, into this state of fear that you don't want to let go. And the third thing that he would probably say to you is this, what good can that do? It's not gonna fix everything, so I'm not gonna do anything. And of course, God's plan is that we would all come together, even if we can't fix everything, knowing that we all can do something. And when we all do something, God shows up and changes everything. So what's your pool called Bethesda? You know what it is for some people? It's like, uh, I'll, 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 I'll call it pride. Just want people to think I'm awesome. I want people to think I'm a winner. Popular. You know, prestigious. And so I keep my eye on that pool and I'm just running and running and running. What, what do you call that? The, the rat race. You know, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I'm running the rat race. And I don't want to take my eyes off it after all because I've invested so much in this and this is becoming to define me. By the way, nothing wrong with winning, nothing wrong with succeeding. But if you think it's actually going to validate you, oh, that's tough. Then you're going to live in this perpetual state if, if, if only because you can't please all of the people all the time. You, seen that? you notice that? And Jesus stands and says, I love you. You're worth dying for. You got nothing to prove to anybody. And the enemy of your soul says, no, 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 no. Don't take your eyes off this pool called Bethesda, this pool called pride.
So I changed this sermon about four times this week. I wasn't really looking forward to preach it, to be truthful. Because I got a pool called Bethesda. It's hard too, because I was just gonna kind of stop there and, and I could tell you, you know what? Money has never been a big motivator in my life. I'm not bragging, it's just never been, I've never used that as a measuring stick in my life. For about the last decade or so, I think I've been past this need to get validation and approval from other people. This job will help with that, by the way. This job's super helpful. You wanna be broken of that habit? Do this job for a while. And then something happened to me. I found that I have a new pool. It's been developing over the last few years. And I would call it, I would call it um, control. Control, it's a pool called control. Control. This past summer, we did a series on the 12 steps of recovery. And there was this prayer that we talked about. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change. The courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Have you ever heard of that prayer? Yeah, I love that prayer. I'll, you know what part of that prayer I'm really good at? I'm really good at the courage to change the things I can. I'm really good at controlling controllables. You know what I'm not good at? Is I'm not good at the stuff I can't control. Oh, I have found out I am not good at it. I'm scared of it. So let me get more specific. I know that Jesus has forgiven my sins. I know that when I die, I will go and, and, and live in eternal life. Adventure, joy, love, peace, amazing. The best will always be yet to come. I know that, I believe that with all my heart. But here's what I can't control and it frosts my flakes. Listen to this, what I can't control, this is important, what I can't control is how I get from here to eternity. I can't control that. It started for me when a few of my people really close to me in my life, they all got really sick at the same time and it broke my heart. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking that, man, I don't have a pool called Bethesda. I'm not really a fearful guy, you know? I got a little twitch in my arm one day. You know what I did? Don't ever do this. Google it. <laughs> I Google it. That ain't smart. See, I believe, hey, I believe there's something really good for me. When I exit this, uh, this, uh, this plane, this realm, I just don't know how I'm gonna get there. And so I got twitching my arm and I'm thinking, well, it's all over. And, and now I don't even have to Google stuff. I don't have to Google stuff. My mind does a way better job than Google could ever do. I'm great at worst case scenario on certain days of my life. I'm really great at it. I don't know if it's me or the enemy. There's a concerted attack by the enemy on you and me and it's to cause us to fear. And it destroys our days. See, I think my day and your day, I think our days were supposed to be full of peace and full of joy and full of love, you know? But I'm walking around and I don't feel a great sense of peace. Like you might look at me, you know, and from the outside it might be, look at Mike, he's just chilling, you know, he's just having a relaxing day. Oh, I'm not relaxing some days. I got this anxiety thing and it's redlining and it's right here. And on the outside I look like I'm relaxing. I'm not relaxed, I'm not relaxed. I'm not relaxed at all. And, and, and you know, you think to yourself, well, 
I'd like my day to be full of joy. And you might see me on certain days doing things that should elicit joy. I'm out there golfing with a bunch of my friends, having a great time, but I'm not really having that great a time because in my mind, I think to myself, well, twitchy arm guy, you better enjoy this round because it's the last one you'll ever golf. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> wow. Do we have more time? Because I got a bunch of funny things I could share about my problems with you. And I, and I mean, and this is the worst one, honestly. The worst one is our days are supposed to be full of love. And on certain days for me, I'm talking to people that mean a great deal to me. And I'm listening, I'm hearing, and I'm trying to connect. I'm trying, I'm trying to connect. But there's a red line thing going and it destroys my days. So I wonder for you, what's your pool called Bethesda? Because I know this about you and about me, fear is a factor for all of us, it always will be. Because fear is a specific, concerted, spiritual attack launched personally against you by the enemy of your soul, the devil. His goal, destroy your dreams, destroy your destiny and to destroy your days. So I kept reading. It's amazing. You know, Jesus looks at this guy and he just says three things. Get up. Take your bedroll. Start walking. I really like that, you know. Because I think about all the people in here today that you have a, you have a fear of letting go. You have a fear of letting go that you're so fixated on the familiar. You want freedom and you want healing, but it's the fear of the unknown, you know? And Jesus says, get up. You don't need to lie in that rut for one more day. Get up. He says, take your bedroll. You know, I wonder for so many of us that carry around these labels that we're allowing to define us, victim, villain, whatever it is. Jesus says, you know what? Take your bedroll. It's going to be part of your story. Bring it with you. You know, I believe, I'm an Oilers fan, you know? Thank you. Uh, but, 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 I, but I believe that one day, I, I, really, mm, I pretty much believe this, that one day the Canucks will win the Stanley Cup. Okay? Now, listen. When it, if it happens, I want you to think about something. Wouldn't it be amazing? After 643 years, it finally <laughs> happened. Why did I bring that up? Because your story, your story is your story. And it's not a story about you being a failure. It's a story about this. Listen, I was weak, but he is strong. What a story. What a story. And then he says to this guy, just start walking. Just start walking. And I think to myself about all of those that maybe have this pool called Bethesda. And day by day, step by step, moment by moment, I feel like Jesus stands. He says, hey, would you look up? Would you look up? Because I got you. I love you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. I will be with you every step of the way. So just start walking. Why don't you stand up? I want to pray for all of you. Jesus, thank you 
that you've gone before us into this spectacular moment. Father, I wanna pray for all of those who have a fear of letting go. God, that you will give them the strength, give them the want to, to move into freedom and to move into healing. I pray for all of those who have a fear of moving on. God, I, I honestly, I, I pray that you would give them a hope right now. Now this story is gonna be great. This story is gonna be great. The story that you're gonna tell with their lives that even though they are weak, even though we are weak, you are so strong. And finally, for those who have a fear of looking up, for all of us, Jesus, we confess that there's things in our lives that we're fixated on and we just, today, we pray that you would help us just have the strength to look up and see that you're right there and you are joy and you are safety and you are security and you are eternity and you are everything that we could ever want. Jesus, you came and you died and you rose again. You defeated despair and you defeated fear. And so while I believe that there is a spirit of fear attacking our culture today, attacking each person today, Jesus, I know that your Holy Spirit is stronger. So I pray for every single person that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would have courage, not a superficial, I can eat spiders courage, but an absolute courage to step into their dreams, to step into their destiny, to step into today, this spectacular moment today. that your power, your faithfulness would help us to live lives of peace and joy and love. We trust you, we love you, in your name, amen, amen. Hey, I asked the band to play a closing song today. I would ask for you to stick around right to the end. It's a declaration and it's a prayer. You 
my future you are Sickness is not my story you are Heartbreak's not my home you are Death is not the end you are today that the words of that song wouldn't just be words that we believe in our head, but that they would be words that we believe and we feel in our heart. And we know that that's not something that we can do on our own. And so we lift our eyes to Jesus and we just pray and we ask for his spirit to help us to not fear, to let go and just look to him and just trust him. So it was an amazing Sunday with you guys again. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you at All is Bright and we'll see you next Sunday as well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.